Good morning, church family. How we all doing? Y'all ready to worship this morning? Come on, would you stand and join us? Can we celebrate the King and joy to the world? minutes here. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. And, you know, as I was uh, thinking about this morning and preparing, um, I just realized it's uh, the beginning of the season of crazy, 
right? Does anybody feel that yeah. a little bit? Um, but we come into this space and we get chan- a chance to um, just breathe and worship and learn and hear from the Lord. And I, my prayer is that even during this season that feels uh, like it's driving us, right? The train is driving us, that we would um, just choose to settle into um, time with the Lord and, and outside of this space, find time, make it a priority to really just invest in um, that that preparing your heart for the season, for the day, for every moment. So that's my prayer for you. Um, so we're really glad that you're here. And whether you are a regular attender or a visitor, take a minute to fill out the connection card. Um, there's some in the pew in front of you. And you can also find that in the app. And if you are a visitor today, please take a minute to stop by the Welcome Center. Um, They have a small gift for you. And also make sure that when you come in the building that you grab your sermon notes. And like this morning, we have um, communion elements. Um, If you forgot those, that's okay, because the ushers will have that when the time comes. But um, right now, we just have a quick reminder on the screen. Good morning, Westgate Chapel. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. My name is Deneen, and I am the elementary director here at Westgate Kids. The Christmas season is undeniably busy, with calendars quickly filling up with various activities. Amid the holiday hustle, we have an upcoming event that deserves to be at the very top of your list, an occasion you absolutely do not want to miss. Our biggest party of the year is coming up this Saturday. Gather with your church family and friends at Christmas on Wilford. Spend a great evening enjoying music, savory and sweet treats, festive activities, and a night spent with our church. There'll be meaningful experiences for all ages, from cookie decorating to really reflecting about what Christmas is all about. And if you forgot to bring your gift for Blessed Child today, don't worry. You'll have the opportunity to donate your gift at the party. We'll also be collecting food for Sylvania Area Family Services and coats for our international students at the University of Toledo. The Christmas on Wilford Party is this Saturday, December 9th from 5 to 8 right here at Westgate Chapel. Thanks again for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoy the rest of the service. All right, we're so excited about Christmas on Wilford this Saturday. Um, Hope that you all are able to come. Um, Right now, if you could take a minute to stand up and um, you can greet the people around you. Maybe tell them if you are finished with your Christmas shopping yet.
I will. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and we'll be lighting the candle of hope. I'm going to be reading scripture, Isaiah 9, verse 2 and verse 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today we light the candle of expectation and hope. In the midst of a dark world that has no hope, each of us has his promise, and that is he is our hope, he is our redeemer, he is our savior. Let us pray. Lord, we have come together to magnify your name. During the Advent season, where we reflect on the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that we have in him, we are reminded of your promises to us and your faithfulness to fulfill them. Help us as we prepare our hearts in our lives for Jesus' advent within us. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Will you stand as we continue worshiping? Amen. Our God is worthy to be praised. Amen. He is worthy to be adored.
Would you do me a favor, and before you sit down, would you thank the choir for blessing us this morning? Man. Lots of rehearsals, and I know that their heart is they just want to worship the Lord with all that they are and help us to enter into his presence. So we are thankful for you guys this morning. Oh, my heart is good. I could have said service over at that song. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, This morning, before we come to our time of offering, I just wanted to pause and say thank you uh, to you. Uh, As we enter into the Christmas season in December, uh, one of the things I often do is a lot of reflecting back on the past year and just the ways in which God has been moving, the things that God has been doing in my own life, but also in the life of our church. And over this past week, as I've been looking back, one of the things that I think has been such a blessing to me among many has been the way in which God has so faithfully provided for our every need as a church. I can remember at the beginning of the year, after we had exited the pandemic, inflation, all these things were happening, there was some question about, hey, where are we going to be financially as a church and how are things going to go? And it has been so cool to walk this journey with the Lord to see how he has continually and faithfully provided. And I remember the one thing that as I was struggling earlier this year, that I heard the Lord telling me, he was consistently saying, do you trust me? Do you trust that I will provide for everything that I want you to do? And I'll tell you something, when you move to that place of putting your hope and your trust in Christ, it is uh, a place where you know that you have a solid foundation, but you can take to the bank that he is gonna come through. And I'm thankful because through you and your faithfulness and your heart to the Lord, as you give faithfully of your resources every single week, it has enabled us to do some things, not just uh, finishing the remodel of our worship center and a commitment that we made so many years ago, but also every week that you give, you're enabling us to support international workers around the world. And in just a short amount of time, we're going to be sending out two couples from our church, launching them out overseas as well. And it's exciting to see how God is moving, but those things aren't possible without you participating in this way of helping to support the work that God is doing through this church. And so I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in that way. And I want us to worship together the Lord and thank him for his provision for us and enabling us to be a part of what he is doing here. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we are thankful for you. And Lord, we thank you for the incredible gift of your son whom we celebrate this Christmas season. In him, we come to the full recognition, God, of understanding to such a deep degree how invested you are in us and in our lives. Even more than that, it helps us to understand, God, how incredibly faithful you are, that you are a God who always fulfills his promises in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you have provided for our church, the way in which you have allowed us to be a part of ministry in this community, but also throughout the edges of this world to take the gospel to people that need to know you and to bring them the only hope that lasts. God, I pray that this morning as we continue to take up our offerings, God, let it come from a heart of worship. We pray that you would take the offerings and multiply them so that more people would come to know your son. But Father, we would be remiss if we also didn't pray and ask that as we give, that you would still be transforming our own hearts that God, we wouldn't give from a place of compulsion or a place of tradition, but from a place of heartfelt love and worship of you. 
We are joyous to participate with you, God, in all that you are doing to bring hope to this world. And so, God, we worship you this morning. Thank you for all you have provided, and we give back to you and ask that you would do incredible things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are on the center aisle, you can grab our offering buckets and begin to pass those out to the sides as we collect our offering. Let's do so in a spirit of worship, and then we'll jump into the word together in just a moment. here we go. We are entering into uh, a new series together as we go into December and the Christmas season. Uh, Are you guys ready for Christmas? Some of you have been celebrating with your Christmas lights since well before Thanksgiving. And I am finally going to catch up to you. So I'm ready for the Christmas season. We are diving into a new series that is entitled, Tis the Season. Now, when we hear this phrase uttered in, in our culture today, oftentimes we see it as an exclamation that is full of things like hope and peace and joy and love. But one of the things I've also noticed is that while this may be the kind of cute commercialized version of how our culture likes to capture Christmas, it's often not quite our experience. Because behind all of the uh, perfect Instagram photos and pictures and the trees and the decorations and lights that we throw up, where everyone is smiling and not a hair is out of place, the reality is is that behind all of the perfectly posed photos, there are times in our lives there's a lot of brokenness that is just being covered over. And when we hear tis the season, we get this picture that everything is put together and perfect when in reality it may not be. But we do find ourselves longing in our lives for the things that this season talks about, hope, peace, joy, and love. And as we begin this Advent series together, we're going to be talking about these four things over the next coming weeks. And this morning specifically, we're going to be diving in and talking together about how it is that we find true hope. Now, if you have your sermon notes, I want to encourage you to pull those out. You can follow along uh, with me this morning. Uh, But I want to ask the first question that is in your notes, which is, what is hope? If we're going to talk about hope, we might as well define it together. What is hope? If you look in the dictionary, you'll find uh, basically two different definitions. Number one is this. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing. This is often how we think of hope. You might hear at Christmas time uh, that you say something like, uh, I hope that I get something under the Christmas tree. How many of you here have made your Christmas lists already? Anybody? Okay, my mom has been after me for months to make a Christmas list, and I keep getting getting hit about it every single week because I still have not done it. But the truth is, you know, the older I get, I'm like, ah, you know, just give me whatever. But oftentimes, especially when we're young, we'll begin to make a Christmas list because we've got certain things that we're really hoping to find under the tree. Do me a favor this morning. Turn to the person next to you, share with them. What are the top two things on your I hope I get this under the tree list? Go. 
Now you recognize what I'm doing. If you're sitting next to your parents, your spouse, or a loved one, this is your chance to give them the elbow and say these top two things. Don't miss them, right? This is what I'm hoping for. There are a lot of things that we hope for. A lot of things that you might list off, but I went and looked for some statistics to say what were the top things last year in 2022 that people were hoping to get under the Christmas tree, and and what were those things that people were buying for them? We're going to have a little simple competition with you and your friends. You can discuss it together, keep track of points. This is merely for bragging rights, but I want you to think, what were the top three things that people were hoping to find under the Christmas tree last year and that people were buying for them? What do you think they are? Top three things. Here we go. The third on the list, okay, what do you think it was? Shout it out. Pogo stick. stick, Okay. (laughs) What do you think? What are people looking to get? 35% of people, this is number three on the list, 35% of people were hoping to get this, electronics. They wanted electronics. That was the third highest thing on the list. So if you, if you said that, give yourself a point in some form or fashion. Second thing, I know some of you are like, nah, I wouldn't have done that. Second thing, what do you think was number two on the list? Second highest. Take a wild guess. Share it. I think I heard it. If you said number two, 55% of people were hoping for gift cards. Looking for gift cards, hoping to get the almighty gift card for some buying power. But number one, this one, this one stunned me a little bit. What's number one on the list in 2022 that people were wanting and that people were buying? What do you think it was? If you said, 60% of people said this, clothing. People wanted clothing. Now, I'm still trying to process this in my mind. The only reason that I can come up with that this topped the list is because every mother in America feels the need to collectively buy their kid one thing and put it under the Christmas tree. What is it? Christmas undies. I mean, seriously, that, that alone may be the reason that rose to the top. There, there are a lot of things that we hope for. And the definition that we see of hope, the first one, is a feeling of expectation and desire to obtain a certain thing. But what I want you to see, number one, is this, is that this type of hope carries a sense of uncertainty. It carries a sense of uncertainty. In other words, we hope that we will get something. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. It might show up under the tree, but it might not. And the reason for this, number two, is because this type of hope is based on consistently changing variables. And this is the problem with the hope that our world tries to cling to. Whenever we put our hope into things or our own ability to obtain things or have situations go our way, we are often left with anxiety and disappointment because things fail us. Have you ever noticed how Christmas tries so hard to make it feel like we have a ton of hope? We put up decorations. We, we put up lights all over our house that make us feel good. We watch movies with perfect endings where the town is always saved and the girl always gets the guy and the person always gets the job that they need to provide for their family on Christmas But did you know that the Christmas blues are actually a real thing? 
that when you take Christmas and you pull it down, psychologists have shown in studies that when you package up Christmas, you take down the lights and the decorations and you put it all away, many people go through this state of melancholy because what happens is, is that after we have kind of glossed over everything to make it look like it's okay, we actually re-enter the real world where we don't have control over things and things are messy and we find ourselves with this type of hope hoping that something will happen for us. But there's a second definition that I want us to hold to this morning, and it's this, letter B, that hope is also a feeling of trust, a feeling of trust. And what I want you to see about this type of hope, number one, is this, is that this type of hope carries with it a sense of confidence, not uncertainty, but a sense of confidence. Because it isn't based on a certain thing where you hope that the planets align and that your wishes will come true, but it's based not on variable things, but on something or someone who is consistent and constant that you know will come through. Number two, it's the very thing that we actually spend our lifetime searching for. Hope that will last. Hope that will come through. And this is the hope that the Bible says can be ours. It's a hope that isn't based on our circumstances, but we can have hope in spite of our circumstances. Because hope, our hope isn't in things that fail us, but it is in a God who never will. Amen? I want you this morning to look with me at this type of hope and how we obtain it. And we're going to do this by taking a look together at the Christmas story. Now, you might immediately think, I got to turn to Luke chapter 2, right? I'm going to turn to Luke because that's where the Christmas story begins with Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger. But that's really not where the Christmas story begins. So you might think to yourself, oh, well, I need to turn to the prophets because the prophets talked about a coming Messiah. And that must be where Rob is starting this morning. But I want you to understand, that's not where the Christmas story begins. We're going to jump all the way together this morning back to the book of Genesis And we're going to see in the book of Genesis where this story truly begins to find its foundation and where our hope truly comes from. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to encounter a man that you'll read in the passage has the name of Abram. Uh, You'll see in other places, I'll refer to him all morning long as Abraham, even though his name is Abram in the passage. Uh, The Lord kind of changes his name later in the scripture. His wife's name is typically spelled Sarai, but we pronounce it as Sarah. So don't be confused by that as we go through this morning. But what I want you to see is as we jump into their life and specifically read here in chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham that seems like it is full of inconsistent variables at first glance. And as you think about this, listen carefully to this passage, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. It says this, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." 
What's interesting as we talk about this is where the Christmas story begins. We typically have the picture of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the baby and a manger. But really the Christmas story begins here with Abraham and Sarah, a couple that aren't celebrating the birth of a child that are de- but are dealing with the difficulties of a lifetime of infertility. And God comes and he shows up to Abraham and he makes him this incredible promise, as I said, that seems to be full of inconsistent variables. It's intriguing as to whether or not Abraham can really put his hope in these things. Look at what God says to him. Letter A in your notes. Leave everything that you know because I have a new land for you. Now, I want you to think about that. If God came along and said, hey, I have got a new land for you. I've got this acreage that I'm going to give to you in a brand new house. It's going to be phenomenal. You might think this sounds really great. This is really good. Now, not to mention the fact that moving, let alone causes a fair amount of stress. Anybody here moved recently or in the past few years feel and understand what I'm talking about? When you move, there's a lot of stress that goes into it. It can, you, you, you pack up your house, in the process of packing up, you find out that you have hoarded way too many things over the years, and you hold on to them, but you get them all into boxes, you load them up into a truck, hoping that it can all fit, and then you get everything to the new house, and you unpack it, hoping that you can find the things that you packed away. Then you hope as you've moved that you can find new neighbors and develop new friendships. It can be a little bit of a stressful venture. But moving in ancient times was a whole different animal than what we could possibly understand today. And here's the reason. When Abraham comes, or when God comes to Abraham and tells him that I'm going to move you, that you're going to come to a new land that I'm going to give you, I want you to understand that in ancient times, you didn't move. You never moved. You got a piece of land. You either inherited the land, you bought the land, or you killed somebody for your land. So it's true. And then once you had your land, you started a tribe by having as many children as you could. And then you encouraged those children to go out to other tribes and to marry because then you would create a massive clan. And when you created this clan of all of these tribes together, what it did is it provided you with protection. You wanted a good-sized clan so that you could defend, defend your tribe, your livelihood from invaders, famine, pestilence, disease, all of these kind of things, and you didn't move. The time that Abraham was living in, in ancient times, was a very violent and a dangerous time. To move your family, your livelihood, and your wealth was to put it all at great risk. And to move meant leaving security behind and oftentimes would mean for people eventual death. But this is what God says to Abraham. I'm making a promise to you. You can put your hope into this that I'm gonna give you a new land and I want you to move and to follow me. And I'm not even yet telling you where that's gonna be. Then God continues, let her be. And he says, I'll make your descendants a ruling power. At first glance, this has to be the most startling promise that God made to Abraham. He is 75 years old, and his wife Sarah has been been unable to have children. And now they're told at 75 years old, Abraham is going to be the father of a ruling power. 
The passage says, I will make you a great nation. And the reason I write ruling power is because I want you to understand the promise isn't just that Abraham's lion is going to have a numerous population base. The Hebrew word goy that is used here is not just about a lot of people, but it's about a mass, massive population that is characterized by a common land, a common language, and a political government. Now at face value, as Abraham hears this, this should sound great to him. Wow, God is going to give me a, a nation that comes from my line. But I want you to take into consideration all of the things that have to be going through his mind. The variables of the danger of starting over. He's 75 and has no children. The likelihood of this promise being fulfilled seems like something you and I only see happen in make-believe Hallmark movies. The variables seem to be completely stacked against him and Sarah. And yet, God doesn't stop there. What does he say next? Let her see. He says, I will bless you to the point that history remembers you. He says, I will bless you. The Hebrew word berak means material wealth. In other words, his, his blessing would be measured by the numerous and robust livestock that he would have, by precious metals of silver and gold, by the amount of human laborers that he would have within his tribe that God would bless him abundantly with incredible wealth. And God says, because of this, I will make your name great. Now, normally what we find ourselves in this world today most concerned about is how we can make our own name great. We easily in our culture chase after things like prosperity, money, material possessions, influence, or fame. But we work tirelessly in this life at times to make a name for ourselves. You know, when I was young, especially in junior high, I wanted desperately to be famous. And I had the opportunity with my church uh, to go, there was like this fundraiser that they were doing to go to a game show where they would pay you if you came with a group. And uh, it was, uh, anybody here ever remember back in the day, I was young, so I'm gonna make myself really old. I just realized this. Okay, a game show called Win, Lose, or Draw. Does anybody remember that? Vicki Lawrence was the host of it. And it was basically like Pictionary. You would go and you would get up in teams and draw pictures and people would guess and you'd get points. Well, one of the things that was cool about this game show was at the end of the taping, at the very end as they were closing it up, they would bring people up from the audience to draw on the board. And if people could guess what you were drawing, they would give you $100. I was like, here is my chance. Not only can I make some money, but I'm going to be on TV. And so at the end, I rushed with my friend down to the front and we're kind of sitting there in the shot of the camera. Now, I didn't get called on, but as they were beginning to wrap up the show, I thought to myself, this is my moment. And I turn around and the camera is pointed directly at me. I can see it on this big screen. And what do I do in my moment of fame? I start throwing up gang signs. <laughs> now, it might tell you a little bit of the culture that I grew up in, but in Long Beach, but can I tell you, that's not necessarily how you want to make yourself famous, okay? I wanted to be famous, I had my moment, and I ruined it. But in our culture today, whether it's through childish, weird things that we do to try to gain notoriety or fame, or as adults where we're trying to gain influence, whatever it may be, we often find ourselves trying to make a name for ourselves. But what does God say to Abraham? He essentially says, you don't have to do a single thing. I'm going to make a name for you. A name that is so great that history is going to immortalize you. How incredible is that? I'm going to give you a land. You're going to have a child and there's going to be a great nation that comes from you. 
I'm going to bless you with material wealth that will blow your mind to the point that you will be remembered all throughout history. You guys know the song, Father Abraham? They sing songs about him. Did it come true? Letter D, God continues and he says, I will stay also intimately involved in your life. What does he promise him? That I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. What's so incredible about this promise is that God says, not only will I protect you in the here and now, but I will ensure the fulfillment of my promise, not just in your lifetime, but until the very final chapter of my promise has been written, which means this, is that the fulfillment of God's promise extends to you, to you, to you, to you, to all of us. Because the final thing that God says to Abraham, letter E, is that all people will be blessed through you. And you can take it to the bank that I will be involved to make sure that this happens. And this is the part of the promise that just seems so over the top from God to Abraham. He tells Abraham, I'm going to bless all people Every tribe, every clan, every language, every people group, in every corner of the world for all time. Not a single person will be left untouched by my promise, and they will be blessed because of you. Now, this promise would have made absolutely no sense at all to Abraham. You would think that Abraham maybe had some inkling of hope that God would come through. This all sounds great. But when you think about all the many inconsistent variables that would have to fall into place, how much hope could Abraham really have? It sounds great. He and Sarah have been wanting to have children for a long time. And they've wanted to build a family so they could pass down their inheritance to those who would come behind them. But the odds seem firmly stacked against them after years of infertility. And now God comes with this crazy promise that has its basis in their very issue of infertility. And in some sense, it almost feels cruel. I have a question for you, though, this morning. Have you ever had something happen in your life that made absolutely no sense? The answer, of course, is absolutely. Yes, we all have. But in fact, I also know that there are some of you that are here this morning who are facing something in your life today that is completely robbing you of your hope and that makes absolutely no sense at all. And the truth is, is that you would give anything to gain some clarity. But you know, Abraham had no clarity, none. But you know what he did? The passage tells us that Abraham made the decision to trust God, even though it didn't make sense. Rather than putting his hope in things, he put his hope in the one who had control. And so as we begin to see, God began to do exactly some of the things that he promised Abraham he would do. In the following chapter, in chapter 13, we see that Abraham arrives in the land that God has promised to him. And it is incredible, exactly as God had promised. Not only that, but we begin to see that he's already begun to amass an incredible amount of wealth, gold and silver and laborers. And we even hear that he had to separate from his nephew Lot because he had far too many livestock, which showed how incredible his wealth was. And so they had to separate and part and go different ways. 
But what I want you to see is that while God came through with what we might call the low-hanging fruit, the first things he promised, the land, the wealth, it seems that Abraham begins to lose hope with each passing year. Because each year that goes by, even as he is on this journey, the one thing that he continually recognizes is, is my wife hasn't conceived. And he begins to question, is God really going to come through with what he has promised? Can I really put my hope in him? In Genesis 15, verses 1 through 2, we catch a glimpse of this. In verse 1, it says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said to the Lord, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. Can you hear the grieving of Abraham's heart as he talks to God as the years pass by? He's left everything behind. He's trusted God. He's experienced God's hand of protection. He's gained the land and the wealth that was promised to him. And yet, with what seemed to be the biggest obstacle, the inability to have children, the thing Abraham and Sarah wanted the most, more than anything, nothing, no movement, but silence. And when I read this passage, I just don't hear the question of, are you going to do this, God? But I hear the continued heartache of childlessness for Abraham and Sarah and the hope that feels like it's beginning to fade. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? Where you feel like God has forgotten you? Where the journey of waiting on the Lord's promises is hard? Where the process of faith building feels like an unending journey? Abraham and Sarah sat in that place. And what seemed like impossible variables to overcome, they struggled to trust that God was going to come through. And so they made the mistake of putting their hope in things rather than putting their hope in the Lord. And they made the mistake that we often make ourselves. Abraham and Sarah, in your notes, attempted to take matters into their own hands. In Genesis chapter 16, we see this very clear picture of a shift of where their hope is going to lie from putting it in a person who can come through to putting it in things that will always fail them. Genesis chapter 16, verse one says this, that now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. It has been 10 years since God made the promise of a child to Abraham. He is now 85 years old. They are well past the years of having children, and yet, they begin to struggle and question whether or not God is going to come through. And so rather than trusting in God, they decide to take matters into their own hands. Forget the promise of a nation. They just want a child. 
The clock has been ticking for a very long time. And since it seems that the Lord isn't answering, they decide that they're going to make things happen their way. Sarah gives her servant Hagar to her husband, reasoning that any child that Abraham uh, fathers may get the ball rolling on these promises. But like us, Abraham and Sarah had to learn some lessons the hard way. And that's why, because letter A, taking matters into our own hands always brings negative consequences. As you look at this story, it is a sad tale because as they take things into their own hands, you see that what happens is that Sarah finds herself incredibly jealous of Hagar once her son has been born. And what happens is that inside of Sarah's heart, there are seeds of anger in her heart towards her husband because of the jealousy that begin to foment. It sowed seeds of contempt in her heart towards her servant. And she gets angry. And Abraham, like the typical man trying to stay out of the line of fire, says what? Hey, do whatever you got to do with her. Like, you know, just don't mess with me. And so Sarah deals harshly with Hagar to the point that she flees and runs. Have you ever been in a place where you took things into your own hands and you decided I'm, God's just not going to come through? I'm going to try to figure this out my own way. And I would ask you, has it ever turned out the way that you hoped? You know, in my own life, I have found that every time I do that, things are worse off than I could have imagined. When I lost my job years ago in California, I remember that the first thing my dad told me because I was hurt uh, by the individual that I was working with that my father gave me some really sage advice. He said, Rob, what you need to do in this moment is trust in God. This did not surprise God. God knew that this was going to happen and he has a perfect plan for your life. Keep your integrity high and trust and put your hope in him. I wish that I had completely listened to those words because we're, those were some of the best, that was some of the best advice that I've ever been given in my life. But there was a point where my heart began to ache and hurt so bad. And I began to take my eyes off the Lord and look at the situation and how unfair I felt that it was. And I began to gossip about this individual that had hurt me because I wanted to get back at him. But here's the deal. Gossiping did nothing but cause me more pain. I was an angry and bitter soul. It didn't make me happier. It didn't give me the hope that I was longing for. It just made me a more miserable human being. That misery also caused tension. It caused tension between Rochelle and I. It caused tension in my relationships with my friends who were still friends with this individual. It caused so much hurt. But the greatest damage it did, and this is why I feel so confident in telling you that when we take matters into our hands and we stop putting our hope in God, that there are always negative consequences, is because the greatest damage that was done is what is always done when we take our hope out of the Lord. Is that damage was done in my relationship with God. Because when my hope isn't in him, and I take it into my own hands and put it into things, what I actually do is I willfully choose to bring separation and brokenness between myself and my relationship with the Lord. As I say, you're obviously not doing the job, so I'll take it myself. I might ask you this morning, in what ways are you struggling in your life to trust that God will come through for you? What is it that he wants you to turn over to him and to trust him with this morning? 
How have you placed your hope in things with all sorts of variables that you're hoping will bring you joy? And what do you need to turn over to him? What do you need to trust him with so that your hope can be in him, the only one who is constant, consistent, and who can come through? You know what I love about this passage and the story of Abraham's life is that he and his wife Sarah screwed up royally and yet God continues to show him his love and his grace. And I don't know if you've experienced this in your own life. I know that I have. But even though Abraham and Sarah had screwed up taking things into their own hands, God still came through. In your notes, God still came through completely. And he taught Abraham and Sarah some very valuable lessons. As you look at this with me in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And what we learn as we continue to read in chapter 17 is that Abraham, 14 years after taking things into his own hands, at the ripe age of 99 years old, his wife conceives. And God gives them the child that he had promised. Here's what I love, though, about how God addresses Abraham and that I want you to hear this morning. And this is why we say that our hope comes from him. Because the valuable lesson that he taught letter A is this. I am El Shaddai, the almighty God. God introduces himself and wants Abraham to understand. Abraham, I am the God who has created all things. I am the God that created you. I am the God that is in control of all things. I am the one that causes nations and kings to rise, and I am the one that causes them to fall. I am the one that controls nature. I am the one that controls everything that happens in this life. Nothing outside of my hand can happen in this world. I am the almighty God. I am the only constant. I am the only one that can always come through for you and you can trust in me. I am almighty God. And because of this letter B, you can have hope because I will always fulfill my promises to you. What we have to do, though, as we hear this, as we see what God does in Abraham's life, is we have to be careful not to interpret this as God will always give me whatever it is that I ask for. That's a really popular thing to think in Christian circles. You know, we grab a verse out of scripture where it says, whatever you ask in my name, you'll, you'll receive it. And we take it out of context and we treat it like God is some kind of vending machine where we, we take our, our token of his name and toss it into the vending machine and out comes the thing that we asked for. But we forget the context that when that is said in scripture is what God is saying is, is this, is that Whatever you ask in my name is not just about speaking the name of Jesus. It's about aligning our hearts to his will and his desires for our life. 
In other words, that we are putting our hope and our trust in him and his love for us and his goodness towards us. Because when you put your hope and your trust in the things of this world, you will find this, that your life will always be filled with anxiety, sadness, anger, and disappointment because things and our own efforts will always fail us. It is the reason that it seems as though hope is something that we can grab onto for a moment, but it always slips through our fingers. Why? Because things cannot give us what we desire. But when you put your hope and trust in things of this world, you feel anxiety, sadness, anger, and disappointment. But God says, when you put your hope and your trust in me, I will never fail you. I will always come through to give you a confident hope. And I would say to you then this morning, as we think about this and God's interactions and what he does in Abraham's life, what is it then that can provide us confident hope in the midst of a broken and a hurting world? Letter A, one thing that can give us that confidence is that God continued to fulfill his promises to Abraham. Check this out. Not only did God give them a child at 99 years of age and do a miracle that was beyond comprehension, he continued to give him vast wealth. He continued to provide for him the land. But even more than that, what we begin to see In Matthew chapter one, where the Christmas story traditionally begins in our minds, is that God fulfills his promise to the T. Matthew chapter one, it's a passage of scripture that we most commonly jump over and we don't read, right? You guys know why? It's the genealogy of a whole bunch of names that we can't pronounce. But do you realize that when you read this, This is the fulfillment that you are reading of God's promise to Abraham, to the T. But it's also the fulfillment of his promise to you. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of uh, Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And you see, it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Until we get down here to the bottom in verse 15. And Eliud, the father of Eliezer. And Eliezer, the father of Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob... the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. God fulfilled his promise to a T and gave you centuries of the line of the building of this nation that would make Abraham's name great throughout the world, but that would be a blessing to every tribe and every clan and every language and every people group 
and to every single person who sits in this room. Because when that promise was fulfilled, the promise of a blessing to the entire world came through his line in the person of Jesus, who in this passage is referred to as the Christ. Remember, that is not Jesus' middle name, nor is it his last. It is a title that means the Messiah, the one whom God chose to send into the world as a promise that he made to Abraham centuries before that would be a blessing to the whole world, that while the world would be perishing in their sin apart from God, that he would send his son into this world to live and ultimately to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And in that, the blessing came to the entire world, not just to Abraham, not just to his family, not just to his line in this great nation, but to the entire world. And that blessing and that promise is yours. It is yours to hold. What is it that can provide us confident hope in the midst of a broken and hurting world that God continued to fulfill his promises to Abraham and let her be that a baby born in Bethlehem brought the blessing to you. And because of that, and God's faithfulness, and all that he has done for you, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that while this world will fail you, because it is full of inconsistent variables that you cannot control nor predict, there is a God who loves you, who has sealed your life for eternity if you place your faith in him and your hope can be firmly in him. Not a hope that is like, I hope I get this for Christmas, but a hope that says, I know that I will one day reign with him and I can trust him with my life. Would you do that today? God, I thank you for this hope that you have given us. I thank you for this incredible story that you have written from the Old Testament through the New of how you have helped us to see that, the, that the, the story of the birth of your son isn't the beginning, but Lord, the beginning came centuries before where you made a promise to Abraham and you told him, you can take my promises, though they seem full of many variables that seem inconsistent, you can, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that I am going to come through because I am the God who loves you and I am the God that is in control of all things and will carry them through. And I thank you that you have helped us to see through your word, God, that we can put our hope and our faith and trust in you. Because that promise wasn't just to Abraham and Sarah because of the hurt that they were experiencing in their own infertility. But to God, it was a promise that was meant for the entire world. That while the things of this world will always fail us, you never will. And so, Father, with the things that we're struggling with this morning, the situations in our life that are out of our control, the places where we are struggling to put our trust in you, help us, Father, to turn them to you. Help us to remember who you are and what you have done, that in the midst of this broken and hurting world, we would find incredible hope because we know that you have already written the final chapter and that you will do all that you have promised to do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take out your communion elements with me. You know, as we come to Christmas and we celebrate this baby that was born, 
we celebrate the fact that he came into this world to give his life, to pay the penalty for our sin that separated us from God. That if we would put our faith and our trust in him, that that hope that we long for in this life could be ours forever. As we come to this time of communion, it is a time of remembering, it is a time of celebrating, but also of declaring that our hope is in the one who gave everything for us. And so as we take the bread this morning, we recognize that Jesus in his love for us gave everything so that we could be his. Take this in remembrance of Jesus and his love for you. As we take the, the cup together, we're reminded that Jesus poured out everything in his blood to cover over our sin, to reconcile us to God. That if we would put our faith in him, his death and his resurrection, that we could receive the gift of eternal life and have a hope that is unending. Let's take together and worship him. Father, I thank you for all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we worship you together because you are the one, the only one, but the best one that we can put our hope in <coughs> and know that you will always come through.
to us. You know, as we close our service this morning, if uh, any of you would like prayer for anything that is going on in your life, uh, our team would love the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Ed and Bethany McKinney are here uh, in the front. I'd invite you to come and meet with them. They would love to walk you over to our prayer room, uh, but please be sure to do that. Church family, though, as we walk into this Christmas season together, there are a lot of things that are on our calendar. I'm excited about this coming weekend, Christmas on Wilford, our big church family party, if you will, that we get to have together. And we're going to be collecting gifts uh, for that neighborhood church and the 04 and take, helping to meet the needs of some families that are down there. Hopefully you'll participate and bless a child. Uh, we've got awesome Christmas services and Christmas Eve services that are coming. But can I encourage you and challenge you with one thing? As you go out from here today and you think about all the great things you can participate in, would you remember that those things are provided not just for you to come and to enjoy time with family, but that God has put you in the lives of other people, that there are people that he has placed in your circles that he wants you to share the hope of his son Jesus Christ with. And I would encourage you as you think about your participation here this Christmas season, think about who it is that God might put in your heart to invite to come. Whether it's to Christmas on Wilford this next Saturday to invite to our Christmas Eve services or one of the coming services over the next many weeks who need to hear that hope and use the gift that God has given you because you have an incredible message of hope of what Jesus has done in your life and that the, the world is desperately in need of. And so share it with those people and invite them to to come and to hear. So as you go out today, go out with the blessing of the hope that you have in the Lord. Look for those areas where you're struggling to find hope and remember that he is the constant that you can put your trust in. Find that joy and share it with other people. God bless you and have a great week as you serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.